So, hello, and thanks for joining us for the Education Doctor Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Ellis. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, where I'm the principal consultant, and our mantra is Access, Thrive, Graduate. You can learn more about our firm at CompassEducationStrategies.com. Thanks so much to everyone who is listening to our show. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in. If you're listening to a podcast of this program, we also want to thank you for joining us. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please join our Facebook community by searching for The Education Doctor, then clicking like. You can find us on Twitter at The Education Doc, and we're also on Foursquare where you can see our tips, to prep schools, colleges, and graduate schools around the country. In case you haven't noticed, we've been on hiatus over the last few weeks, and it's been a very busy time for our firm with all of the early application deadlines as well as campus visits. Many of our students had November 1st and November 15th deadlines that we had to prioritize, and during that time, my own personal college visits included campuses in California, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Texas. So I've been a lot of places. But after this demanding schedule, we're excited to return to the studio. Our show today requires little introduction because we're discussing a topic that's on the hearts and minds of so many high school families around the world, and that's standardized testing. The first show in this two-part series on standardized testing focuses on the SAT. The second show in our series on standardized testing will focus on the ACT. They really do go together like frickin' frack, yin and yang, or thing one and thing two. They're not quite two peas in a pod because they really are two very different standardized tests used for college admissions. And to unravel all of this for our families, joining us today on this show is Jim Meaning. Jim is the founder and director of Insight Tutors in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I had the pleasure of meeting Jim recently through a mutual classmate from Stanford. We had an immediate connection through our academic and professional careers. Jim began his tutoring career in high school as a physics tutor, and boy, do I wish I had known him back then, because very few people know this, except a few of my Stanford classmates who still tease me to this day about it, but I started as a physics major at Stanford, and what a rude awakening that was when I enrolled in a physics 51 class with Richard Bond, so we won't even go there. (laughs) That's a long story. So back to Jim's great resume. Jim started as a physics tutor. He earned his bachelor's and master's degree from Stanford in biology and earned an MBA from USC, which Stanford alums affectionately refer to as the University of Bull Children. And I know that's not fair. <laughs> but Jim has over 25 years of tutoring experience and has led Insight Tutors for over 10 years. So we welcome him and are honored by his um, interview today. Before we start, I want to make sure that our listeners have our contact information. 
Our email address is radio at compasseducationstrategies.com if you'd like to submit a question that way. And our switchboard, by the way, is located in sunny Southern California. The number at our switchboard is 714-333-3356. And I always give that number out knowing that people will be listening in, even though they don't call in, but you have it anyway. Our switchboard is located in sunny Southern California, and I am broadcasting live from Dayton, Ohio, and Jim is joining us from sunny Greenwich, Connecticut. So we'll take a quick break, and then Jim will join us. Okay, we are back, and now I will be joined by Jim Meany of Insight Tutors of Greenwich, Connecticut. Jim, are you on the line now? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, great. Excuse me for my little verbal slip there. Jim, I want to thank you uh, no, for joining no, us on the Education oh, Doctor Radio Show. You're very welcome. I'm I'm happy to be here, and uh, thanks for the flashback to Physics 51, because I remember <laughs> uh, that series of physics classes well also, and I think you were pretty accurate about the wake-up call. <laughs> oh, yes, it definitely is. <laughs> It definitely is, yeah. So I quickly changed my major um, after freshman year for sure. <laughs> but if uh, I had known you, Jim, I'm sure I'd probably be a physicist today. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you'd thank me for that or blame me for that, but either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jim, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, we're excited to have you on. I want to just jump right in and ask you, you know, what are some strategies for students who are seniors that are retaking the SAT? Well, it, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, the SAT and standardized testing in general is a huge opportunity for those who embrace it as such. And one thing that seniors can do is to go into the test with that mindset that um, this is yet another chance for them to differentiate themselves on their application. And while they may not have either had the time or taken the time to prepare as they might have wanted to, um, there's still some stuff they can do or some uh, actions they can take in the next couple of days. Um, one is to adopt a certain perspective about the undertaking, and that is that while the SAT and the ACT are very important metrics, and I, I genuinely believe they are very important metrics that unfortunately sometimes are used improperly, um, they, they're only one uh, aspect of a multidimensional holistic application. And if they can keep that in mind, I think it will help to uh, allay some of the anxiety about going into the test. Um, it's an important aspect of your application. It's not nearly the most important aspect, except in very rare cases. Um, and, and that perspective, I think, will, will help them a lot. That being said, in terms of uh, some of, you know, what the get-down-and-studying kind of uh, actions they can take, they can still um, pull up a book, a prep book, make sure they understand the directions going in because the directions don't change and your time on the test is too precious to be reading directions. You want to jump right into the first question. Um, mm -hmm. they, they can um, be sure on test day morning to warm up before the exam. 
Um, it's just like any athlete does before an athletic event. Uh, if you're going to be exercising your brain for the next four hours, you want to warm up your brain. And by that I mean, you know, take a couple of easy math questions that you've done before that you know the answer to so that you don't get stumped and don't get freaked out. Work through those questions. Um, get in the mode of thinking uh, mathematically. Uh, take a look at maybe a short reading comp passage that you've done before so that you're mm -hmm. you know, warmed up and ready to uh, tear it apart when you get into the test setting. Maybe look at an essay that you've outlined, that sort of thing, um, you know, so that you're not using the time during the test to warm up. Again, that time is way too precious. Uh, to use another athletic analogy, and I don't mean to overuse them, but you know, on your very first uh, test question, you want to be at race pace. You don't want to be climbing that hill to get to race pace. And you want to be able to hold that pace all the way through the exam. It's really kind of a marathon more than a sprint. And, you know, while your energy will lag and soar during the exam, you really want to keep that constant high energy level throughout the exam and not let down until, you know, they call time on the last section. So those would be some of the ideas that I would have uh, for our seniors out there. Mm. Now, one of the things, Jim, in terms of what you said right after adopting a perspective and before mm -hmm. the warm-up is you, is you mentioned about taking a look at a prep book. So are you suggesting actually doing that between, you know, today and tomorrow, the night before, or doing that the morning of? Uh, both, actually. And what I would do, you know, standardized tests traditionally are not tests that respond well to cramming. Um, and I'm not suggesting, you know, a mega cram session, as I'm sure you're familiar with from your Stanford days. But, um, oh, too well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, what I am suggesting is, um, you know, and I'm not even suggesting sitting for a full-length practice test because by now you should have done that. And if you're repeating the test, you know what it's like to have to sit still and focus for over four hours. So that would not yes. be a good use of one's time. However, what would be a good use would be to, you know, handle a couple of passages under timed condition, you know, maybe a math section, um, mm -hmm. and, and go into it, especially for the seniors, go into it with an understanding of where your strengths lie because that's where you're going yeah. to get your points this Saturday. Don't worry mm -hmm. so much about the stuff that's still not familiar to you or still not, you know, easy for you to accomplish because that's going to only slow you down on test day. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe an hour a day, just, you know, ultimate familiarity. And then, as I said, test day morning, you know, you're sure to have your ride arranged. You're sure to have, you know, your ticket, your admission ticket, your number two pencils, your calculator, fresh batteries, et cetera. But, you know, just take 10 or 15 minutes, even in the car on the way, if you're being driven, not if you're driving, please, but if you're being driven, <laughs> and, you know, do a couple of practice warm-up problems. Uh, and I think you'll find, if, if you follow that, paradoxically, you're going to be in the test center ready to go, and you're going to be upset at all the other people who forgot their number two pencils or don't know where to go because you're going to want to jump into the test, you're going to seize it as an opportunity, and you're going to want to mm -hmm. show the test makers just how adept you are at taking their test. Wow. Okay. 
good. Now that's some tips I could have should have known for the GNAT too. <laughs> yes, and well, and you make a very valid point because um, standardized. A lot of the standardized tests are variations on each other. You know, we have the SAT, ACT for college admissions. We have the GRE, which I loosely refer to as SAT for grown-ups. We have right. the GMAT, which has problem-solving and a little twist on problem-solving called data sufficiency, but it also has uh, critical reasoning, uh, sorry, critical mm -hmm. reading, as well as critical reasoning. The LSAT has logic games, everyone's favorite, and um critical reading, no math on the LSAT for the math folks out there. But they're often, um, you know, different, or, well, different birds of a slightly different feather, but very related. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, Jim, let's talk through the sections of the SAT and what students need to know to be, to do their best on test okay. day. So can we talk through the sections? Which section do you want sure. to start with? Well, um, we might as well start with the first section, which is a, a difference from the ACT. On the SAT, you sit for the essay first. The ACT, if you take the essay, it comes last. But on the SAT, uh, you are presented with a prompt um, to which you are going to write a, a response in 25 minutes. And mm -hmm. um, I like to tell people the prompt is where it's at. Uh, you really want to look at the wording that they use. Uh, for instance, um, I am looking at one right now in one of the sample tests, and the question is, can knowledge be a burden rather than a benefit? And as you – exactly. One thing I'll mention about the SAT versus the ACT is the SAT ended up – or started out more as an aptitude test. And right. so it tends to be a little more esoteric, and you see this especially in the essay. My all-time favorite SAT essay prompt is, is there always a however? And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, I didn't know I was sitting for my Ph.D. in philosophy <laughs> trying to answer, <laughs> is there always a however? But back to the point, point at hand here, um, can knowledge be a burden rather than a benefit? I see three very important keywords there, knowledge. What do we mean by knowledge? Is it uh, didactic mm -hmm. knowledge, you know, mathematical knowledge? Is it knowledge of oneself? Is it knowledge of an event coming up? Burden, what do we mean by a burden? Does that mean that something bad's going to happen? Are we going to, you know, have to pay damages? Uh, are we going to feel guilt, that kind of thing? Benefit, what kind of benefit are we talking about? Are we talking about financial benefit, benefit to oneself, to society, etc.? And so you can see that if you really key in on the key words, you can generate your thought process pretty quickly. And one other tip I'll give the students uh, who are taking the test on this, on this Saturday. You will notice that with every SAT prompt, there's a, a, a box, a short paragraph, maybe three or four sentences above it, um, that often is a quote from someone in the past. But this one starts off with, knowledge is power which is a very interesting statement. One mistake mm -hmm. that students make is they think they have to repeat that part of the prompt in their essay, and that is absolutely wasted space. Uh, mm. The readers have that prompt right in front of them. Uh, you only have a limited amount of space anyway to write your essay, and that doesn't do anything to move the line forward uh, in terms of your test performance. 
What you want to use that for is to stimulate your thought process. And as an example, knowledge is power. What kind of power? Financial power, personal power, uh, military power. Then it goes on to say, in agriculture, medicine, and industry, for example, hmm, three very very different yet related um, entities, and that's where you go to generate your examples. Medicine is knowledge power. Well, yes, if I know how to cure cancer, I have the power to make people's lives better. Um, Mm. Industry, I'll I'll give you a contraexample. Knowledge is power. What if it's insider trader knowledge? Is that power? Or does that confer power to someone else, like the Securities and Exchange Commission, to indict you? So I love the essay because it, it allows you to go in many different directions. There's no right or wrong answer. The answer or the, the quality of you know your your one to twelve score depends a lot on how well you present your ideas, and believe it or not, there's great freedom to uh, write the essay of your choice as long as it satisfies certain guidelines. Oh wow, that's really good, really insightful. So Jim, I want to take just a quick break, and then mm-hmm. we will come back because I want to discuss the other sections as well. So I'm going to take just a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay. We are back now with the Education Doctor Radio Show, brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, and we're going to continue our conversation with Jim Meany of Insight Tutors of Greenwich, Connecticut. Before the break, Jim, we had started talking about the essay and talking about just what especially seniors can do to prepare well and do well on the test for this Saturday, let's talk about the other sections. And one of them that I know which gives some students grief, uh, particularly for one of my international students right now, uh, the reading uh, section, the verbal section, was a little bit more challenging. So what what strategies do you have for students um, on that particular section of the SAT? Um, well, we have a couple that we can mention. One thing I'll mention first is uh, they mix up the order of the sections on the SAT. So while a practice exam may have had or may have presented the reading comprehension section uh, mm-hmm. right after the essay, you know, your test might have the math section, and that can vary within a room even. So you don't want to be worried about, oh, what if I get math first or what if I get verbal first, because you want to have the mindset again of, you know, I can handle whatever they want to present to me and uh, do a good job on it. Regarding um, the verbal section and uh, the the critical reading section, for students for whom English might be a second language, this can be a challenge, and there's no denying that. Um, Colleges, Mm -hmm. I believe, look also at the TOEFL exam, test of English as a foreign language, in part of their assessment. So, again, you're not necessarily dead in the water if verbal is not a strong point of yours. But a couple of tips that anyone can use on the verbal is um, absolutely the first thing you want to do within any section is to turn your pages to the end of the section. Do not go beyond the end of the section. But you want to have an idea of how many passages are there. Are there the, um, the dual passages, the compare and contrast passages? Is there one short passage, one longer passage? And I'm, I'm getting beyond the, the two first you know, short paragraph passages. You really want mm-hmm. to uh, 
get the the uh, overall view of this section so that you'll know better how to um, um, marshal your your resource of time and distribute that. Uh, it always starts out with the sentence completion, and mm. a lot of people make the mistake, uh, regardless of uh, what's their uh, primary language at home. A lot of people make the mistake of looking at the answers first to try and fit the answers back into the blank. And that is the kiss of death because, um, believe it or not, the test makers don't necessarily have your best interests in mind and they will write answers to confuse you. Um, what you want to do instead mm -hmm. is you want to actually cover up the answers with your hand or your, your grade sheet. And you want to read the sentence looking for contextual clues. And you actually want to think about, well, if I were writing the test, what word would I put in the blank? And then it could be mm. something as basic as I would put a positive word or a negative word. And then you go quickly, uh, without dwelling on any one answer until you've seen all five, you go quickly through the answers to say, well, yeah, that word might fit. That works pretty well. And then mm. before you move on, you reread the sentence with your choice in it and if it works, then you absolutely circle the answer in your book, which you should do on all the answers, and then uh, you can transfer it to your grade sheet either one at a time or by the page, which I think creates uh, much greater efficiency. So wow. that would be a suggestion I would have for um, the sentence completion. Mm -hmm. The handling the essays, you have, well, I say absolutely, that's, that would be a classic wrong answer on reading comprehension because it's too extreme. Um, but you definitely want to consider, I'll get to that in a second, you definitely want to consider previewing your questions first because that tells you what the author mm -hmm. thinks is important in the passage, that tells you what the passage is about, um, and it can really give you a leg up on your analysis of the passage. You do mm -hmm. not want to pre-read uh, pre the answers for two reasons. One, Four out of five of them are wrong, <laughs> and two, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> and they're written to confuse you. Really stacking you. it against you. <laughs> and, and two of them, um, num uh, number two, you don't have the time. Another right. tip, very important tip, I can give to students is that the and if I'm, let's see, uh, pick the answer that best fits. Uh, let's see, answer question on the basis. Questions follow, well, they used to say pick the answer that best fits it. Um, one Again, with perspective, you want to go at this reading comp section with the understanding that four of the answers are categorically wrong and one of the answers is categorically correct. And I know that sounds extreme, but what that does is that keeps you from arguing with yourself, well, this could be the right answer, that might be the right answer, which one do I pick? No. Four of them are wrong, one of them is right. And it's a huge confidence builder, and it's a huge um, speed builder, if you will. The other aspect that I was mentioning that we cover here at Insight Tutors is um, these tests are written to formula. The sections are written to formula, the right answers are written to formula, and the wrong answers are written to formula. So learn to recognize wrong answers. And if I have a minute, I'll just run through the five or six that they want to be on the lookout for? Would that be okay? Yes, that would be. Go ahead. Okay. Um, the one answer that I alluded to before is the answer that's too extreme. If I tell a client I never make a mistake in front of a client, 
it's pretty easy to prove me wrong because I just have to mess up once. But if I say mm-hmm. I generally don't make mistakes in front of the client, it's much harder to prove me wrong. So be very wary of answers with all, always, never, none in them. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they, uh, Most of the time they aren't. The answer that's half right, half wrong. It starts out looking mm-hmm. good, and then the end is uh, aberrant, and they the test makers do that because they know you're nervous, they know you're in a rush, and you see that promising beginning, you circle it and move on, and they've trapped you. Look for the answer that's the exact opposite of what you want. This shows up particularly true in tone questions and um, questions where there's dialogue, and they give you the answer that mm. Speaker B would have said instead of Speaker A. Uh, especially the answer that's the wrong point of view or the wrong part of the passage, because on SAT, the questions generally go in order with the passage. The um, the answer that you'll have to excuse me, it's the wow, that's funny answer. And it's where did that come from? It was totally unrelated to the passage. That you can eliminate. And uh, mm-hmm. wow, that's funny, um, distant cousin the or close cousin, I guess, the one that corrupts the details. Uh, they know you've seen the words before, that, but they might reverse cause and effect. And then finally, um, the one that makes an unwarranted comparison. It might be a science Mm -hmm. passage about two theories, and one of the answers says, well, theory A is more believable than theory B, and that nowhere in the passage was that stated or even suggested. So those would, I mean, I just ran you through a couple hours of tutoring right there, but those would be some of the suggestions on how to handle uh, the reading comprehension section. Okay. Wow, those are great. Those are really great. We only have a couple of minutes left, so I I don't want to take another break. But what I do want to do is if you can give us a snapshot or two, at least two really good math or quantitative strategies sure. that students can use. We did a show earlier that focused just on the math, but I'd like to hear from you um what you suggest to your students? Uh, scan the math section first and go to the easy questions. And by easy, I mean the ones that are easy for you. Although the questions generally go in order from easier to harder, that's a statistical thing. It's not necessarily um, relevant to your test-taking ability. For example, if you really like geometry and you're nervous about the math section, go through and do all the geometry questions first um, okay. after you preview previewed this section. Uh, The other tip I would offer is uh, the calculator, 99 times out of 100, is actually a hindrance. Do not rely on your calculator because if you're using it for guess and check, you've forgotten what the question was after you've gone through all the guess and check. And oh, by the way, they will put answers in there that are correct answers to wrong questions and, again, they've trapped you. So I would um, suggest doing the questions that you like the best first and not relying too heavily, if at all, on the calculator. And, in fact, they will give you problems that involve exponents of, like, 2 to the 99th. I'll just give you a really basic one. 2 to the 99th divided by 2 to the 98th. And if you're punching 2 to the 99th into your calculator, you're going to exceed its capacity anyway. And it's just the answer is two to the first. It's two to the 99 minus 98. And that's now you've built, it took you five seconds to figure that out. 
And now you've built up a surplus for the harder questions that you're going to want to do at the end. Um, and, you know, given that you have a little bit over a minute per question in general, if you save, you know, 55 seconds on one question, you've now got over two minutes to do a really hard question. So those, that would be, or those would be two suggestions I would have. Okay, great. Well, thank you so very much, Jim, for joining us. And I want to thank um, everyone who's listening in for joining us as well. You can always email additional questions that we can share later and post those uh, answers up for you. We have some great shows coming up. We will be doing part two on the ACT, so look out for the announcement there. And then Bill will come on and tell you more about how to stay connected with us. So we thank you for joining the Education Doctor radio show.